0: Welcome back to Investing Experts Podcast. I'm Daniel Snyder. Today we're joined by Eric Bazmachen from EPB Macro Research, my favorite resource for all macro research. In this episode, we dive into the state of housing, employment, inventories, credit markets, and what it means for the stock market. Plus, longtime listeners of the show know Eric has said he is expecting a recession. So we follow up on that call to get his latest viewpoint. And then we wrap up with what sectors and ETFs he recommends for the months ahead. Just a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast should not be considered investment advice. At times, myself or the guest might own positions in the securities mentioned, but this is for entertainment purposes only, and you should seek advice from a licensed professional before investing. If you're enjoying these episodes, please do me a favor and leave a rating or review on your favorite podcasting app. Share it with your friends, your family, your coworker, or your dog. Every little bit helps build a stronger community. Now let's get into the interview. All right, Eric, welcome back to the show. It's so great to have you here. Let's just go ahead and kick things off. For the people who don't know who you are, hit us with like that one to two minute summary of how you got into investing and, and starting EPB Macro Research.
1: All right, it's good to be back with you, Daniel. It's been a, been a while since we uh, caught up. Um, for, for those who are new to my work, my name is Eric Basmajan. My company is EPB Macro Research. And, and what we do is we focus on economic cycle trends. Uh, it's a little bit different than, than most macroeconomics that people are used to, where people guess the unemployment number or guess the GDP number. Um, we're not really trying to guess the monthly numbers. We're trying to get a sense of where the economy is going to trend, both in terms of growth and in terms of inflation over six to 12-month periods, so a little bit longer than what most people are used to. Uh, I got started in the industry on the buy side of the financial sector. Uh, at a hedge fund that specialized in in equity derivatives. Uh, I landed there after uh, 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 my economics background at at NYU. Um, So that's sort of the trajectory that that took me here and and what we focus on. So I'm sure we'll talk today about where we stand in the economy and, and where we're likely to head over the next couple of months here.
0: Yeah, so we're going to go through all these amazing charts that you brought for us today, and, and people are going to be able to find those on the show notes page on Seeking Alpha. But you just mentioned the 6 to 12-month look-ahead is kind of what you focus on. Uh, for the investors out there that are always trying to look at you know shorter time horizons, what is your case as to why you focus on the longer dating and, and leading and lagging indicators and things like that?
1: My My process involves using leading economic indicators or in in more layman's terms, just tracking the economic cycle and using those economic cycle trends to translate that into how assets are likely to perform. Because while asset prices may deviate from the underlying economy for any given period of time, a couple of months, even a quarter or two, it's very unlikely that they deviate from the economy over six to 12 month view, because ultimately uh, the economic cycle will determine profit growth and profit growth will, will be the driver behind credit and and stock prices and company earnings. So uh, the economic cycle doesn't change month to month, but people's opinion of the economic cycle certainly changes on a month to month basis. So the reason I try and stay focused on that, that more medium term is because Um, it's it's not subject to these wild fluctuations and it actually is something that you uh, can predict with a fair degree of accuracy whereas the monthly gyrations and the weekly moves in the market and and sort of guessing the next nfp number in 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 my framework is something that's that's unpredictable
0: and so we're going to be talking about let's see housing employment inventories all that in this episode but what it sounds like a little bit is you're saying that these indicators help people understand what sectors they should be looking to have outperform within the markets and therefore the stocks within that sector. Is that right? Or am I completely off there?
1: That's exactly right. And even more broadly than that, asset classes. So we can be thinking about since since I'm, you know, uh mainly a macro focused, we go zoom out as far as we can. Most people at the at its core, they have. Money or they have cash, and they first have to determine whether they want it to be in stocks at all, or bonds, or gold, or commodities at its most, uh, you know, its broadest choice. And then within those categories, getting a little bit more specific. So if you do want to allocate to stocks, do you want them to be more uh, cyclical and aggressive type stocks, or more defensive stocks? If you want to allocate to bonds, should it be more long duration bonds or short duration bonds, or should it be? Uh, corporate credit or should it be treasury bonds? There's a lot of choices within that bucket. And similarly for commodities, do you want to be in gold and precious metals? or do you want to be in oil and copper and the very you know growth sensitive commodities? So uh, what what I try and help investors do is is give them a sense of where the economic cycle is today and where it's likely to be six to twelve months from now so that they can make those two decisions about which asset class they want to preference. and then within that asset class, what sectors or subsectors they want to favor the most.
0: Yeah, and this is why I'm so excited that you're here on the episode today because I think a lot of investors out there right now are reading about people saying the second half of this year is going to be an amazing turnaround and and the recession might only be a soft landing. And now we're seeing the bond market yields are exploding higher, right? There's volatilities back again. We're recording this on February 21st. Everybody's coming back from President's Day and it seems like the market is almost in a free fall, right? So we're kind of like thinking six months out, 12 months out, Hopefully you have some good news for us, but I want to get started by looking at this proprietary data, uh, these charts that you're bringing from EPB in your marketplace. Why don't we just start talking about like the state of housing, right? Like you follow the housing sector. You're always talking about housing, you know, housing, uh, where housing goes, the the economy goes, right? What are your thoughts on housing right now? Okay.
1: So um, what I think would be, would be most helpful is if I um, run through maybe three of these charts here and set the stage and then... Uh, work how housing ties into that because housing is sort of going to be uh, a really important variable here. But I want to first set the stage with with sort of what's happened in the economy, if that's okay. Let's do it. Okay, so uh, in my process, we we track what are called uh, coincident economic indicators, and these coincident economic indicators you can see in in chart three that I brought. Uh, They don't tell you where the economy is going, but they define the economy as it stands. Uh, In this chart, we have six variables. We have a measure of income, two measures of employment, industrial production, and two measures of consumption. I didn't uh, pick these indicators myself. The, The National Bureau of Economic Research, the agency that dates these business cycles, use these six indicators when they make the determination about recessions and expansions because it covers all four corners of the economy, income, production, consumption, and employment, and they are all what we would call coincident indicators. So what you could see in this chart here, chart number three in the slide deck, is that uh, economic growth exploded higher in the middle of 2021, which coincided with the third uh, stimulus payment. Uh, obviously, this was extremely overinflated growth of 12%, and the economy naturally started to cool um, with or without any monetary tightening, because there's just no way the economy was going to be able to sustain 10 11 12% rates of growth. But as you can see, what happened is as we crossed into 2022, economic growth was trending at about 3%. Then in the summer of 2022, economic growth dropped to about 2% and now november december and january the average of those three is about 0.7 0.8%. so over the last year we've had economic growth sort of staircase lower from 3% to 2% to 1% and it's important for everybody to sort of stay focused on that 6 to 12 month trend versus you know taking any single data point as as a change in trend. so we've had this staircase from 3 to 2 to 1. If you go over to the next slide, slide four, it's important to know that a recession doesn't begin when these indicators turn negative. A recession can begin before these indicators turn negative, which is why we can't say the economy is really strong because of employment. Because by the time employment turns negative, the economy will have already been in a recession. So what I'm showing here in this chart is that while the last three months growth has averaged about 0.9%, The 2001 recession began when growth was about 0.3. The 2008 recession began when growth was about 0.6. If we go on to slide five, uh, the 1974 recession began when growth was 3.8%. And it accelerated into the recession from 2.8 to 3.8. The 1980 recession began at 1.2. The 1982 recession began at 1.8. The point of all of this is that the average growth rate when the recession starts is 1.0%. And that's roughly where we are right now. So uh, growth is decelerating and we're right in the range at which the average recession begins. Um, So with that being said, now the question is, where does this growth go from here? because I just uh, articulated that these coincident indicators don't give us any uh, reading on what's to come. They just sort of define what's happened. And what's happened is we've had a very sharp deceleration in growth. We're on the cusp of a recession or recessionary territory. And now the question is, do we fully cascade into that recession here in Q2, Q3, Q4, or does the economy start to reaccelerate? In order to make that decision, that's when we focus on leading economic indicators, the most important of which, or, or, or the um, one of two most important is, is the housing sector and what's going on there. The housing sector sort of led this whole trend, peaking uh, at the end of 2021, and really being the sector of the economy that's that's declined the most. So what's going on in the housing market is that... Um, uh, sales volume is slowing very abruptly and new construction for single family homes is, is turning down. We're seeing a decline in construction spending for new single family homes. Uh, and that's going to continue to propel this downward economic momentum because the the real engine of economic growth emanates from that residential construction. the the building of new buildings, the building of new apartments, and the employment that comes with that. So we have not seen a a significant bottom or a bottom at all in any of the early housing metrics like building permits, specifically single-family building permits. Uh, And here, as interest rates have ratcheted back up in February, almost close to 7% mortgages again, any of these little bounces that we've seen in some of these housing data points just for the January reporting period are almost undoubtedly going to be reversed because uh, mortgage rates fell into the high 5% range in January. And that's what gave a lot of housing data this, this little pop. It was only one month. And then we saw the rates go back up in February. Now the mortgage applications are turning back down. So uh, we don't have any evidence that we have a sustained bottom in the housing market. And if the housing market is still moving to the downside, it's very unlikely that these coincident indicators are gonna diverge and start moving higher. So I'd be concerned here that we're... um, that the market is mistaking this little pop that we saw in growth in January as a reacceleration. And when you filter out the noise and look more at the trend, uh, it's a trend that's continuing to descend. And, and in my view, uh, the economy is going to be in, in recessionary territory here and not, not very long.
0: So what do you say? You're talking about the single family home permits, but I mean, things are changing and evolving within the economy and how we're all living. And what about the multifamily side of it, right? We're still seeing a lot of construction happening there. What would you say to people that maybe be like, well, yeah, sure, housing is slowing, single, but that's because there's a a massive transition to wanting to be in multifamily, even though everybody fled from multifamily during COVID. What are your thoughts there?
1: That's right, that's right. That's a really good question. Um, So what I would say is that, residential construction spending is the factor that we're trying to target here when we're looking at the housing sector and how that relates to economic growth. And residential construction spending is comprised of three components. We have our single family construction, our multifamily construction, and then we have our remodeling, which is people putting in a new bathroom or a new kitchen into their existing home. Those three categories make up residential construction, which is about an $800 billion category, multifamily construction is still rising. The dollars spent on multifamily or apartment construction is still rising. You're correct. However, multifamily spending is only 14% of the total. Single-family construction and and residential remodeling is is by far and away the, the majority of the residential construction spending. Those, um, um, the the single family construction is most impacted by housing affordability, and we haven't really seen any material change in housing affordability, particularly with rates going back up close to seven now. So it's unlikely that we're going to see a huge acceleration in single family construction. The residential remodeling is mainly driven by um, general economic conditions, financial conditions, just consumer sentiment, how they feel about the economy. Most people generally aren't borrowing uh, money to, to do remodeling. per some, uh, some people may pull out a home equity line uh, and, and do some remodeling, but it's not impacted by the 30-year fixed mortgage rate. It's really more of a consumer sentiment story, how people feel. Uh, And then the multifamily construction is not impacted by the mortgage rates because big corporations typically don't borrow at 30 year fixed to do one of these projects. They borrow closer to the front end of the curve, and there's a much longer lag time between when those projects are approved and when the construction spending actually happens. So the fact that construction spending is rising here is more due to the fact that of those three components, it's more of a lagging indicator uh, because it's, not, it's going to be impacted on this longer approval cycle, as well as uh, the more lagging Fed funds rate, as opposed to the mortgage rates, which rose way in anticipation of the Fed doing all these hikes that have materialized over the last six to eight months.
0: Eric, I'm hoping you can help me connect the dots here, because housing, we're talking about the pullback in housing, but we also know that the January employment numbers came in crazy strong, and everybody was blown away, and employment seems very resilient. And you Mm. kind of think about if employment stays strong, then people have money to spend, right? And and they're going to spend money on retail or they're going to spend wherever. You you would imagine people are spending on their homes, whether it's a HELOC or not, right? Yeah, so
1: that's a very good question. So with with that, I'll turn everybody to page uh, seven or slide number seven. And what I did in this chart is I showed um, the six coincident indicators that we talked about in the first uh, question or the opening part. And I split them into two groups. I split it between its two employment components and its four non-employment components. So graphed in blue, you can see basically income consumption and production. And in black, you can see employment. And as you correctly noted, employment is rising the last two months or or the growth rate is rising up to a 2.6% growth rate, which is quite strong and stronger than the average recessionary start. But for sure. But the non-employment components of the economy, the uh, uh, income consumption and production are actually struggling greatly, where the growth rate has slipped from an average of about one to one and a half to the average of December and January being zero percent. So excluding employment the economy is really on the cusp of a recession if not maybe maybe right there with average growth over the last 2 months being being basically zero um so what's what's unusual about this is that these six coincident indicators that i've split into two buckets to show the divergence generally track together in what the you know it's called a circular flow in the economy where if you have more income, then you consume more. If you consume more, you need to produce more. If you produce more, you need more employment. If you have more employment. So that cycle tends to work together. It's very unlikely for that for, for, for the cycle to break and have you know, employment accelerating while income consumption and production are, are decelerating. The times that we've seen that in the past were actually the 1970s. Uh, and the reason for this, we, we, we hypothesize, is because of inflation. Uh, when inflation is high, the income consumption and production turn down. But be- because companies have revenue growth and nominal profits, they hold on to employment or they have this what's called money illusion that they can continue to pay Um uh, employees when their underlying unit volumes, their underlying uh, productive capacity is really deteriorating. So in the 1974 recession, employment growth was, was over 3% when that recession started. So it's not impossible for a recession to begin for employment uh, with employment being strong. Uh, but I would, what I would say is that um, uh, I wouldn't expect the employment market to accelerate from here. I think this is the last... Um, Last bit of strength we're going to see because the rest of the economy is really struggling to maintain positive growth, and it's unlikely that employment will will be able to sustain gains while companies are starting to see decelerations and inventory builds up and things that are contributing to uh, worse production.
0: This is all starting to really click in my head, and I'm I'm sure the listeners as well are starting to see how all the bullet points you know kind of are are taken together and they're they're forming this image. And is this a state of consumers just psychologically be being beaten up right like the inflation that you just mentioned i mean we have a new cpi the way that they create that overall number is now changed and, and i think they increased the waiting on shelter which i think was the, the sticky spot right like what are your thoughts on what they're doing there
1: yeah, I I tend to take the data just just as it comes. Um, you know, we we and, and and it's another reason why we have to stay focused on the trends here because you know as you can see in uh, you know if you go to chart seven uh, the the non-employment the blue line did in fact bounce from negative zero point seven to positive zero point seven but we have these adjustments and these seasonal factors that have become increasingly volatile around the COVID period. Why is that? Well, in December of 2021, we had the significant breakout of the uh, Omicron variant, um, which caused you know a reduction in people spending in December. Um, then you also had um, changes in the way people uh, shop because of the supply chain disruptions, pulling uh, uh, um, Christmas shopping forward, pushing you know return schedules out. And this has all distorted some of the normal seasonal patterns, which are still being applied when the, the agencies conduct these seasonal adjustments. So the month-to-month numbers have become increasingly erratic, and it's important to kind of focus on the trending average. Uh, and then the other variable here is that none of the leading indicators told us that the we would see these accelerations. So that's another reason why we should really, uh, at, at this point, chalk it up as, as noise versus the start of a new trend. Um, The last point I want to make on on the comment that you just uh, talked about with consumers being beat up about inflation and this gap that we're seeing between employment and the non-employment components is that the example I would give is if an economy sells 10 cars each for a dollar, then the total output is $10. But 10 cars need to be produced, which may require, let's say, 10 people to do that job. But then let's say you have significant inflation and the price of the car rises to $10 and the economy only sells one car. Aggregate output is still $10, but you're only producing one car, but you still have 10 people. You likely don't need those 10 people. So what happens is the unit volume deteriorates first, and then companies realize that they have 10 employees when they only need to produce one car. So what we're seeing in chart seven Is the blue line which is real incomes again in real terms uh decline consumption in real terms which is unit volumes the number of cars or the number of items decline uh and production which is the the you know output of those units decline and and those three components are barely growing zero percent maybe one percent if you want to be generous and grant the january bounce while companies are still adding employment at a two and a half percent rate. So what we're seeing is that is that inflationary process hold here where the unit volumes have this really sharp deterioration. But everyone's looking at top line and saying, oh, we're still selling the same ten dollars. And it's unlikely to sustain itself. So eventually what's going to happen is companies are going to right size their employment. And when it does happen, I think it'll happen pretty quickly.
0: So to make it blatantly clear. You're saying expect more downside from here, on the, on this chart specifically as well. Like the, that that blue line should turn down, and then unemployment would take up because of inventories are built up. Companies have to start evaluating their forecast going into the six to twelve months, looking forward exactly. that you're talking
1: about. That's exactly right. And Walmart said as much this morning. They said you know the the narrative that we hear is that the consumer is healthy, but Walmart who. I think knows a thing or two about the consumer and, and their transcripts today said that the consumer is, is uh, I think in their words, they said extremely pressured. Um, and I think that's a result of the fact that uh, uh, incomes uh, in in real terms have been badly damaged by inflation. And that's hurting the the unit volume of consumption, number of goods that people are able to consume. And that's what really drives the economy. It's the number of of, of goods that people consume. And and we're seeing the erosion there in this blue line in slide seven.
0: So one of your most recent weekly updates that you put out through your service uh, in regards to the state of inventories, right? You said something along the lines of production growth continues to decline, will almost certainly remain under pressure as there is still a huge inventory imbalance for most durable goods. Is this left over from the supply chain issues? Do you think like where everybody was double and tripling in order, and now they have this inventory and they're waiting for the consumers to come and clear it? Out?
1: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So I'll turn everyone over to slide nine. Uh, what I showed here is the same six coincident indicators, but this time I stripped out industrial production in blue, and then the remaining five coincident indicators in black. And what you can see is that industrial production is the most volatile, and that's probably uh, expected for most people. Uh, And whenever industrial production turns down, uh, we get this soft patch in the economy. That's what happened in 2016, and it happened again in 2019, where the Fed was cutting rates before uh, COVID, if you remember. And the reason they were cutting rates is because of this protracted manufacturing downturn that coincided with the trade war with China. What we have going on now is we have industrial production declining again, but the rest of the economy is still holding up okay, right, growing at 1.9%. So what a lot of people are doing or the marketplace is, is they're looking at this chart or this setup and they're running the same playbook saying, well, it's just manufacturing uh, and the rest of the economy is holding on okay, so we may achieve a soft landing here. However, this setup is not the same as 2016 and and 2020 or or, 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 uh, 2019. One is that the yield curve today is deeply inverted, where it wasn't inverted in those two cycles. Number two is there's a very significant monetary tightening underway where uh, there was uh, much less of a monetary tightening underway in 2016. Basically, no rate hikes at all. I think they did one rate hike. In 2018, you did have somewhat of a tightening cycle, but in order to achieve what may have been a soft landing before the COVID period, the Fed was already cutting interest rates. So today, we think we're going to achieve the same soft landing without cutting interest rates, but rather continuing to raise them. The third thing is that you didn't have a protracted uh, downturn in the housing market uh, during those two periods. You did have a minor slowdown in the 2018 period. You had virtually no slowdown at all in the 2016 period. Um, So uh, you have a a constellation of variables here that's much different than those two soft landing periods. And then when you look at industrial production specifically, you have this unbelievable inventory uh, uh, bloat on the uh, on the manufacturer side, as as you correctly uh, mentioned, from uh, from the the supply chain disruptions, the overordering, and then the fact that people really did think that consumers were going to keep consuming at the pace that they were, uh, sort of miscalculating the erosion in the stimulus payments, and then miscalculating how much inflation was going to erode people's ability to to continue uh, purchasing more goods. So on the inventory side, you're going to continue to have this downturn in production that we're seeing in, in slide nine here. And then the, the monetary tightening, the inverted yield curve, and those sort of lagged effects are going to, are going to come through and impact the black line. Uh, and it's going to make this soft landing, uh, I think, uh, more of an illusion than, than what we saw in 2016 and potentially in 2019
0: sounds like a bumpy ride. I mean, it comes back to the Fed speakers coming out recently talking about the case of the 50 basis points, right? And that kind of started shaking the markets a little bit, giving them a little something to worry about. Um, So let me ask you this, then, you know, you talk about consumers continuing to spend the way that they had been spending. I mean, maybe some of that is also psychological that people get used to spending a certain way. And I think we've seen the consumer credit, you know, completely increase to the upside of more and more people taking out more credit, more credit. Maybe you can give us a little insight there about that side of the economy specifically and what it means.
1: That's right. So um, what we've seen is consumers had uh, a lot of savings after the stimulus payments, but they began to uh, to drain down as we moved into 2022 and as the inflation rate started to increase on the goods that they were consuming. Um and what happened is that uh, the consumers, especially more of the low-end consumers, began to deplete those savings. The personal savings rate has dropped to the 2 to 3% range, which is historically extremely low. Uh, and now what's going to happen is the savings rate's going to have to rise. It's going to have to start to normalize. Uh, and the rate of consumption is going to have to slow down more in line with the rate of income, uh, which in real terms is struggling in the 0 to 1% range. So um, the 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 inflation rate really eroded the purchasing power of the consumer. Uh, That sort of caused this excess savings to last shorter than what a lot of these um, you know manufacturers really uh, expected. Uh, And and then what's going to happen is the saving rate is going to rise in twenty twenty three and put downward pressure on on the consumption part of the the
0: equation here. What about the credit markets for businesses? Are those showing any you know? signs of incoming recession or anything like that? Right.
1: So we don't see any disturbances at all in the actual credit market, you know, in, in triple B credit spreads. But what we do see is in the senior loan officers survey, which is a survey of, of, of loan officers at, at lending institutions. Um, what, what we see there is, is they're reporting a tightening of lending standards, meaning that they're you know worsening the conditions uh, because they don't really want to lend money because they perceive it to be risky. So a tightening of lending standards. And they are reporting worsening loan demand across almost every category because consumers don't really have a lot of savings. Um, um, and uh, they are starting to fall behind on payments and delinquencies are starting to tick up in some of the more uh, uh, less creditworthy borrowers. And we're actually starting to see a small tick up in mortgage delinquencies in Q4. So as that starts to happen, uh, banks become increasingly restrictive on their lending terms. And then consumers facing those worst terms become you know, uh, uh, less willing to borrow. So we're seeing a tightening of standards on the bank side, a pullback in loan demand on the consumer side, um, really, what's going to happen is it's just all signs pointing towards uh, the consumer is really going to start to run out of runway here, and that's going to impact again. If you're looking at slide nine, that's going to come through in the black line here, while that production line still stays in contractionary territory. And when that happens, that's that's ultimately the recession that that uh, most people have
0: been waiting for. So we've since taken all the time on this episode to lay out this beautiful, inverted, roaring 20s scenario that we find ourselves in. A little while back, you told us that you are completely in camp, that recession is coming. And you know I have to follow up with you. Anytime somebody comes on the show more than once, I always reference back previous episodes, get the update from you now. It sounds like you're still in that camp, but I need you to to just lay it out. Is it hard recession, soft recession? What are you expecting at this moment in time and what might change your view going forward?
1: Uh, I'll just wrap it up here on slide 10. And uh, I think we had talked over the summer of 2022 uh, and over the summer of 2022, I think maybe even in an email, I had said to you that a recession was, was basically a foregone conclusion. Uh, you did.
0: You didn't pull the trigger at that point, but you gave me the heads up.
1: I gave you the heads up. And I started at that point, which is the summer of 2022, to outline that I thought recessionary conditions would hit the economy sometime between the October and February window. Uh, now, that's in terms of economic uh, reporting data. So we we have data through January. We're sort of basically right in the middle of that window now. And if you look at slide 10, uh, we've really grinded down pretty close to zero. The last three months, we've averaged about 0.8, 0.9, 1% growth. Uh, and as I mentioned in the earlier part of the conversation, that's right about when recessions start on average is that 1% growth rate uh, level. So uh, we may have been a, a month or two early on, on that window. You know, It looks like maybe we may be looking at uh, February, March, April. It's still hard to say because these things really change uh, once all the revisions come in. And then when the data is um, uh, the recessions are marked in hindsight, it could end up being December. It could end up being February. But point being is that that was sort of the window that we're targeting or that we were targeting. We've sort of landed in this window now and we're sort of right on the cusp of recessionary conditions. Um, where we're going is is still a forecast that hasn't changed, which is uh, we don't have any upturn at all in the leading indicators. Which means this downward trend that we're seeing in the growth rate, you know, over any three six month period, that that sort of uh, more longer term trend, uh, that's going to continue. The growth rate's going to move into negative territory. We are going to have a recession. Uh, it, it is going to be a hard landing, uh, and it's always difficult to to predict magnitude of a recession because it really depends on What sort of shocks and hidden time bombs that nobody knows about emerge when the recession begins. Um, But given the fact that the Fed is still raising interest rates into what looks like the beginning of recessionary conditions uh, is one thing that massively tilts the scales towards a, a harder landing because the Fed is usually cutting interest rates before the recession begins if at if uh you know and in most cases at least pausing or 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 not raising interest rates anymore and they're actually getting increasingly tight uh, and and based on what the market's pricing in now we're looking at you know um you know no easing until really 2020 you know the end of 2023 maybe beginning of 2024 so uh if that really does play out then this economy is going to be left on its own uh with 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 growth that in my view is going to be negative in in pretty short order here so that's that's not a very good setup uh, i think the market today is is uh, as we're recording this is becoming a little bit more aware of of the fact that that may be the situation we're heading into and that's not a great cocktail for for risk assets
0: eric on seeking alpha here we have a lot of veteran investors that have been in the market for decades on end. But I imagine there's also a few people maybe listening that are newer to the markets and they keep hearing hard landing is coming. It's looking more like a hard landing. What would you say that these investors need to expect within the hard landing scenario if they've never been within one of these before?
1: Well, I think it's important to to know who you are as an investor uh, when you're preparing for those conditions because we're all trying to do something different with our investment portfolio or use you know the research that I'm providing in different ways. So, you know, if if you're a four hundred one k investor and you're you know allocating a percentage of your money to you know your four hundred one k every month and it's going to be there in twenty or thirty years. You shouldn't use, you know, a hard landing to to be fearful and pull all of your money out or or anything like that. That's not, you know, what I'm trying to do when I'm alerting investors of, of recession. A lot of my clients are hedge fund managers or people who do want to be moving in and out of the market on those six to twelve month basis or make big portfolio shifts. So, you know, it's important to know who you are as an investor. Um, if you're if you're are trying to play the economy on a more tactical basis and and you're Uh, a new investor. It's just expect a lot of volatility, Uh, a lot of volatility, both to the upside and the downside. And you really have to become um, faithful in your investment process because the ups and downs in the market will really test uh, how confident you are in the process that you have. You could be in the middle of a recession and have a 25% rally in the stock market. It's very difficult if you have a pessimistic outlook to not change your view and chase that rally and then the market falls by 20% in the next couple of weeks. So the volatility really increases. The swings in the market can be dramatic. Uh you could have really big rallies and well in, in the worst of times you could have um you know a lot of market events that that go against where where you may be positioned. So as the volat- volatility picks up, it's important to sort of um Uh, you know, reassert the convictions that you have in your process, stick to your process and and let the market action, you know, do what it does.
0: That's really great advice. I'm sure somebody needed to hear that. So thank you for that. I do want to start to wrap it up here. I I recently grabbed a quote and I think this kind of summary summarizes this episode really well because it's actually from you. It's from one of your weekly updates. It says, I still expect the stock market to make new lows, credit spreads to widen and for interest rate pricing at the end of 2023 to reverse the most recent move higher. That's pretty interesting to me. That kind of gives us the full layout all at once. I mean, I was just looking today, even the 2-year yield was up like 15% over the last 19 trading days or something like that. Like this this isn't normal, right? Like investors shouldn't be expecting like this will continue for the next 6 months should we
1: so i think what's going to ultimately happen here is is the market is going to continue to make the realization that i think it's it's realizing today which is that the fed is um you know raising rates aggressively into a Underlying slowdown that's much more uh, mature and much deeper than what people uh, expect, much deeper than what is is perceived by the surface level employment numbers, for example, uh, and and the market's going to start to to run into some trouble here. And I think that's going to have to start to be reflected in credit spreads, something that we really haven't seen during this downturn at all so far. The market's been declining for some time, sort of as this, you know, economic growth has declined, stock market has followed with it. But for all intents and purposes, it's been pretty orderly. There's been no real um, you know, major credit event. And those are the things that I think are, are, are coming uh, as a result of the economy moving from slowdown to recession. Um, so I think that um, you know investors, uh, um, investors need to to sort of prepare themselves for a, a a market that that is, in my view, making a mistake and and expectations to change really quickly. So uh, the 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 thing I was thinking about when I was writing that quote was in the beginning of two thousand and eight, which was the the recession had already technically started, oil prices had increased. And the market had renewed fears of inflation. And the market actually began to price in rate hikes at the end of 2008, similar to how the market is pricing in rate hikes all the way through September of 2023. Uh, And what actually happened was not only did the Fed not hike interest rates, they actually cut interest rates by several hundred basis points. So I think when we're walking into scenarios like we have right now, It's not that the forward expectations could be wrong. I mean, they could be wrong totally in terms of the direction. So uh, I think that's more of the situation that we're in right now, where I think that a lot of these uh, things that we're seeing are going to be entirely reversed and actually go in the other direction as the market comes to realize that these underlying trends are much more recessionary and things that are not really going to be easily shaped by the Fed cutting rates from five to four and a half, let's say.
0: So to loop this all back from the beginning of the episode, we were talking about how the economic cycle leads you to believe what sectors might see outperforming growth within the next few months. Going into a recession, what sectors are you recommending to investors?
1: Okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll sort of roadmap it the same way I did by talking about the four major asset classes. We have our stocks, our bonds, you know, our, our gold, and, and our commodities, let's say. Within stocks, I think that stocks should be a relatively underweight portion of your investment portfolio, given what I see coming on the horizon. I don't think anybody should have 0% allocation to stocks, particularly most of us who who have some passive allocation, but whatever your strategy is, I think that you should have less equities than you do normally uh, because of the recessionary forecast. Within the equity bucket, however, within the equities that you do have in your portfolio, I think those should be tilted towards the defensives. So that would be your utilities, your consumer staples, um, your low volatility stocks, uh, maybe some safe dividend payers, companies that have lots of cash, low leverage, low debt. Uh, I would avoid the opposites of those, which would be your cyclicals, your high debt, your high beta stocks. Um uh, and you can find ETFs that have these sort of big, broad factor exposures as well. Um, within the uh, um, uh, bonds segment, I would want to be uh, tilted towards treasury bonds rather than corporate bonds, because I'd be concerned about spreads widening and impacting corporate bonds. So I think that you want to stick with treasury bonds. If you're uh, very risk averse, I would want to be sticking towards the front end of the treasury curve like cash. Uh, or short-term treasury bonds, like SHY would be an ETF, or IEI would be an ETF. If you have a risk appetite and you want to sort of try and profit from a recession, you'd want to look at some of the beaten down long duration bonds like TLT. Uh, And then within commodities, I would hold a preference for gold, your most stable precious metal, and I would avoid the commodities that, that, that do poorly in recessions, which are your copper's uh, your your industrial metals uh, and and even your oil. So that's sort of the roadmap that I would be using heading into uh, what I think is, is is a recessionary environment here over the next couple of quarters. Uh, and that uh, sort of roadmap will be different for every investor depending on how they they allocate. But that's sort of the the roadmap or approach I would take.
0: Eric, this has all been really great. It all kind of like produces this image that I think is clicking with everybody. Uh, Why don't we just go ahead and, you know, if people want to get in contact with you, chat with you, read more of your research, see more of your coincident coincident indicators and all the data that you're always providing and updating, where can they find you?
1: So on Seeking Alpha, I provide two services. I have my full service, which I provide weekly updates on all of these coincident indicators, uh, what the economy is doing now, uh, what happened during the week, any major events that happened. You also get uh, monthly deep dives on all of the leading indicators. You get uh, uh, deep dives on the housing market. All of this comes in video as well as written. Uh, And then you also get access to our public chat room and direct message access. So you can ask me questions about the research Uh, and how it may apply to to investment strategy or ETFs. Uh, But if that's too much, I also have um, a a basic or a light version, uh, which is just getting those weekly updates Uh, which are three to five minute weekly updates in video form. I think it's a really great place to start for people that want to get familiar with the work that I do. Uh, Every single week, three to five minute update in written and video form. So you can watch uh, in in however you prefer Uh, and it'll give you a really good guide of what's happening in the economy today, where the economy is likely to be and what assets might be best appropriate for that upcoming environment.
0: Yeah, I love. I personally love your weekly updates and everything. I, I'm a part of that service. And it's just like, I don't have time to always watch all of the news that's coming out on the economy front and everything else like that. So you summarize it very well. And I think a lot of people would enjoy that, uh, especially for the people that are working. They don't have time, right? I mean, it's, it's such a great thing that you offer. So we really, really-
1: respect everybody's time. Do it in, in in clip form these days, right? Three to five minute clips.
0: That's right. And let us respect your time. I've kept you way too long for this episode. I'm sure people uh, could listen to you all day. But everybody listening, if you want to get in contact with Eric, go check out his service, EPB Macro Research, whether it's the new newsletter, the full service. I I think you're on Twitter too. I think I see you on Twitter posting all the time as well.
1: I do waste some of my time on Twitter.
0: What's What's the at? What's the username? You can follow me at EPB Research. Love it. Love it. Everybody go give him a follow. Eric, thank you so much for your time today, man. Really appreciate thank the you. rundown. And uh, we'll have you back on here soon to get another recap of where we are. Hopefully not mid-recession, but time will talk. <laughs> All right.
1: Super appreciate it. Thanks.
0: Just a reminder, everyone, if you enjoyed this episode, leave a rating or review on your favorite podcasting app. And we'll see you again next week with a new episode and a new guest.